Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. All right, last week uh, we saw the three things that the Bible tells us are going to bring an end to the age of the Gentiles. Uh, oh. <laughs> All right. So we saw events that precede the end, signs that the end is approaching, and events that conclude the end of the age. And tonight, we're going to look at that third one, the events that definitively bring an end to the age of the Gentiles. So uh, the first uh, thing that we know through Scripture definitively brings an end to the age of the Gentiles is, the, is what the Bible calls the great and terrible day of the Lord. Um, now, a lot of people think they know what that means, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse number 2. 1 Thessalonians 5. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction come up upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that you should be that you should over that they should that that, eh, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Now, does that sound like a good day? No. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a sad day. Who's this day for? To unbelievers. So it's for unbelievers. Paul names the things that can happen. Look again, he goes, um, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh the sea for the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as prevail upon a woman. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. So there we go. No tribulation for the church. Let's be dismissed. No. <laughs> there's, there's more. <laughs> All right. So this event uh, is for the unbelievers. The church, the brethren, will not experience this terrible day of the Lord. So whatever this day is, it is not for the church. It is for unbelievers. Now, the church, he says, you know the day of the Lord is for unbelievers, and you are not there. Now turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his slackness. Uh, I'm sorry. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering uh, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Sounds like another bad day. At least if you're on earth. It's a pretty bad day. The earth is going to be burned up with fervent heat. Um, now, this day that Paul and Peter are talking about, it has a lot of names in Scripture, uh, especially in the Old Testament. Here are some of the names for this great and terrible day of the Lord found in Scripture. You have the great and terrible day of the Lord, 
of course, tribulation. Um, so it's got a lot of names uh, in the Old Testament. The, the, an interesting one is the day of Jacob's trouble. What is a, another name Jacob was given? Israel. This is the day of Israel's trouble. This is the final week, this great and terrible day of the Lord, is the final week of Daniel's 70 weeks for Israel. Which is not a week, it's seven years. So, what's the word most of us know for this day? No. Tribulation. The day of the Lord is tribulation. This is the day of Jacob's trouble. Um, so, day of the Lord means tribulation. The tribulation period in Scripture. This is not the second coming of Christ. It is a time of great destruction and, and wrath and judgment on the earth, but it's not for the church. It was appointed to Israel and for the unsaved world, and they will have to endure it. Now, there's another phrase we need to understand, the coming of the Lord. Let's so look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Is this a happy day or a sad day? It's a happy day. Look over at James chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth, for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Uh, but ye also establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren, the prophets that have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example, suffering affliction and patience. So what sense do you get out of this, this verse? This is, whatever the day of the Lord is, it's something that can happen in an instant, at any moment. The tribulation. We're going to get to that. So, now James wrote this in the first century, to the first century church, and he told the church to be patient because the coming of the Lord was close. Um, now, he could not have been talking about the second coming of Jesus because we know from Scripture there are certain events that have to happen before the second coming of Christ to earth. And in James's day, none of them have happened. In our day, uh, some have happened. We're still waiting on a few. But in James's day, nothing could have happened. So he was not talking about the second coming, because the second coming of Jesus is what puts an end to the age of the Gentiles, and they have to have those events take uh, place beforehand. Also, James says that this will be a time of judgment for the church. Look over in First Chronicle, First Corinthians, sorry, First Corinthians, chapter number four. Therefore, judge not, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will who both will bring the light, the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. What is the result of this judgment? 
Those who are judged, what are they going to get? They're going to get praise from God. This is not a bad judgment. This is not a judgment for sin and shortcomings. This is a judgment for merit. This is God judging His church for what they did on the earth. Um, Paul puts these two events, the day of the Lord and the great and terrible day of the Lord, into context over in 2 Thessalonians. Give me a break. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse number 1 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, <coughs> nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The coming of our Lord Jesus. For that day shall not come except there be a fallen away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, this passage puts kind of both events in context, the great and terrible day of the Lord and the coming of the Lord, uh, but it's talking about two events. The church in Thessalonica had been taught by false teachers that they missed the coming of the Lord. Now, what is the coming of the Lord? It's the rapture. That's what we know it as. It's not a biblical term. It's a term we've made, we, you know, we have made up, but we all know it as the rapture. So the church at Thessalonica had been taught that they had missed the rapture. And Paul is writing to uh, correct them. They thought that since they'd missed the rapture, now they were enduring tribulation, and of course they were scared. So Paul, he writes to, to confront them, he writes to comfort them, and he tells them that the coming of the Lord, the rapture, could not have happened because the day of the Lord, or the great and terrible tri or the tribulation, hasn't come. So for us to understand, I want us to put it in, in context here. Paul is saying the rapture hasn't happened because tribulation hasn't come. And you can't have one without the other. You have to have the rapture before. So he's, they, they think they're in tribulation. They think they are enduring the great tribulation. And Paul says you cannot endure the tribulation because the rapture hasn't come. And since the tribulation hasn't come, the rapture hasn't come either. You have to have one to have the other. So uh, it cannot, the tribulation cannot take place until he lists these things that take place. Uh, and the tribulation hasn't happened because all the events that have to lead to the tribulation haven't happened first. So if the tribulation hasn't happened, then we haven't missed the rapture, right? There's an order to it that God's telling us. That since the tribulation's not happening, we haven't missed the, the rapture yet. He's telling us we cannot get into the tribulation as the church because the tribulation is not meant for the church. Look, look over in Revelation chapter 4. We're back in Revelation. <clears throat> now, Revelation chapter 4. No. Alright. So in Revelation chapter 4, it what, what, what happens right before Revelation chapter 4? Revelation chapter 3. We were. 
the Revelation chapter 3 is the letters to the church, and it ends with the church at Laodicea. And so it is the church age. So in Scripture, in, in our outline of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1 is things that John saw. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are the things that are. Revelation chapter 4 is the things that will be. So we're looking at the things that are going to be. So Revelation chapter 4, we're going to read the whole chapter. All right. After this, after what? Chapter 4. After this, after the church at Laodicea, after I wrote the letters to the church, after God told me what to write, after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. There was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And of the th out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there is a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not that not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So what happens here is right after John gets his vision of Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, and he writes these letters, Jesus tells him to write, that God invites him into heaven to see things that will be. So this is not a vision of heaven at the time of John. This is a vision of what heaven will be one day, after a certain event, after the rapture of the church. Now, we want to look at who is in this throne room of God. There are several things in the throne room of God found in, in Revelation. First of all, there are 24 elders. They're wearing white, white robes, and they're wearing crowns. What does this mean? They're human leaders of the church. They are, because they're wearing white robes, we know they are believers in Christ, and they are wearing crowns. Now, in Scripture, there are two Greek words for crown. You could have a crown of uh, hereditary, like David's crown. Whenever it talks about Jesus wearing a crown, it talks about a, a crown that is given because of, of right, or a crown given to you because of, of what you've earned, what you've done. This is a crown you've earned. So these are human church leaders who are believers in Christ, and they are wearing uh, rewards for their service to God. Um, 
Well, it's 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 the who specifically? Well, there's 24 thrones. I'm on one of them. The twelve. A lot of people. We don't really know specifically. Some people think it's the 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 twelve tribes and the twelve apostles. So you know, Paul, not Judas, because he's in his own place. Uh, <laughs> but we don't really know. We just know there that these men represent the leadership of the church, and they're in the throne room of God. So this is a representation of all the church in the throne room of God, represented by its leader. But there's also the Bible says there are the seven spirits of God, represented by these seven candlesticks. Um, we see this in Isaiah chapter 11. It talks about the, the, spirit, the seven spirits of God. Uh, you can read it later, but here's what Isaiah 7 tells us about the seven spirits of God. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Then you have the spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of strength, spirit of knowledge, and spirit of fear. So, we've, we've got basically seven characteristics of God's Spirit. Now, what did we learn way back in the beginning about the number seven in the Bible? It means completion. It means 100%. So that means that in Revelation chapter 4, 100% of the Holy Spirit is in the throne room with God after the church age. So he's not here. If the Holy Spirit's not here, guess who else isn't here? We're not here. Because the Holy Spirit will never leave us and he will never forsake us. So chapter 4 comes right after the church age. All the church leaders, all the Holy Spirit is there. And since the Holy Spirit cannot leave us on earth because he's never going to leave us or forsake us, we can know that all the church is in heaven in Revelation chapter 4. The church is there. The leadership is there. The Holy Spirit is there in Revelation chapter 4. How did the church get there? John chapter 14. I told you you're going to be skipping around a lot. John chapter 14. This is one you probably, you know it. Uh, probably right off the top of your head. In my father's house. Yeah. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, but here's what I want to focus on. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also, and whither I go ye know, and the way you know. Where is Jesus going when he's talking about this? Heaven. He did not say, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and sit on earth with you. He said, I'm going to go prepare a place, and I'm going to bring you to where I am. I will bring you to me. He has given a picture, and we're going to see this at the very end, about a Jewish uh, wedding ceremony. Now, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place, do you think he got to, he was a carpenter. Do you think God, he got to heaven, God gave him some blueprints, a hammer, some lumber, and said, get busy building houses? No, that's not what it meant. <clears throat> now, he spoke of this right before he left earth, and he went to his father's house, which is in heaven. But look at the order. He is leaving to go to heaven. Then he will return, but he doesn't come to where we are. He comes to take us to where he is. Uh, so he's in heaven, and that can't, that can't be the second coming of Christ, because that is the wrong order. Because at the second coming of Christ, Jesus will do what? 
he'll come to earth. So he didn't say, I'm going to go come to earth, set up my kingdom. He goes, no, 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 I'm going to come and receive you to myself before I come and set up my kingdom. They, they get him mixed up. Yes. So the second coming is Jesus coming to earth to stay. This is not him coming to stay. This is him bringing us to where he is. So at the second coming of Christ, also we are told we are not on earth. We are in heaven with him when he comes back. Say, how do you know that? Because we come back with him. Revelation chapter 19. We can't come back with him if we're not with him. Revelation 19. <clears throat> it's near the end of the book. <clears throat> Starting in verse 11. <clears throat> Connor, you're going to want to pay attention to this. All right, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven open. And behold a, white, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him <coughs> was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns, and he had a name written on it that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. So who do you think this guy is? It is Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who do you think that is? That's us. We are the clean, uh, purified army of God. We are with him in heaven at his second coming, which means we cannot be on earth during the second coming. We have to be in heaven with him, waiting on it. It is describing what Paul calls the resurrection of the church, or the resurrection of the bride, or <clears throat> what we call the rapture. Back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Again, the coming of the Lord is the rapture of the church, not the second coming. So, those of us who are alive and believers on earth will not, it's not going to, you know, people who died before, we don't got to worry about, oh, they missed the rapture. No, they're in heaven, but they also get to enjoy the rapture as well. Uh, for the Lord himself shall ascend uh, from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this uh, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So this, 
is a, a sudden event that only affects believers. This does not affect the church at all. At a, a shout and then a trumpet, the dead, the Bible says, the dead in Christ will instantly receive their eternal bodies. Now, they're already in heaven. To be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord. Their soul is in heaven. But their body, their eternal body is not. They do not have a glorified body yet. They will at the rapture. They will instantly receive their, their glorified bodies. Um, and then believers who are alive at that time will instantly receive their eternal bodies and be, meet Jesus in the air. So, the thing that ends the church age is what? The church leaving the earth. If the church is here, you can't have a church age. So, the church, the rapture of the church is what ends the church age. And it is leaving, the church leaves to prepare the earth for the second coming of Jesus. Now, why did God put such an elaborate plan in place? Why not just remove or come, come back all at once, not worry about us? Why you know, not just take us to heaven after we get saved? Why such an elaborate play, uh, event to, to get the church into heaven with God? Because this event marks the beginning of the, the D Daniel's 70th week. That's the tribulation period, which we learned about earlier. The seven years of Daniel's final week is not for the church. It is specifically for Israel to prepare Israel to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So they're going to have to go through a lot of judgment, a lot of events uh, for this. We also know that the bride was not appointed, the bride of Christ is not appointed to wrath. See that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So God did not intend for the church to endure the wrath of God during the tribulation because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for the church on the cross. So we don't have to absorb the wrath. Uh, then the bride, uh, the bride's home will finally be made ready. And when the, the bride's home is ready, then God will come and receive us to him as the bride of Christ. Also, uh, by this time, the complete number of Gentiles have been reached with the gospel. Remember, the church age is for us. The tribulation is for Israel. The church age is for the age of the Gentiles is for us, so that we can be reached with the gospel. God knows when the last person who is going to get saved before the rapture does get saved, and when that when the last person has been reached or the last you know message has been given out, then God will be ready for the church to come home. And we know that it's going to happen because uh, it has to happen at the same time because the entire bride must be collected for the wedding. You can't take half a bride to a wedding. You've got to take the whole bride or no bride. You know, half a bride is a, a horror show, not a wedding. Um, <clears throat> so when is this day coming? We don't know. January 14th, <laughs> 2028. No, we don't know. Matthew... Uh, chapter 24. This is Jesus talking about the rapture, not the second coming. 
But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Ever bother you that there's something Jesus doesn't know? Really? He's God. He knows everything. He doesn't know this. We'll see why he doesn't know this. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. For in those days there were before the flood that were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered uh, the ark. So he tells us that, the, and he uses a, a kind of a, 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 a metaphor of, of a wedding. But no one, not even Jesus, knows when the rapture is going to happen. So this is an event that the date is not known by anybody. Now, once this happens, anyone left on earth can mark their calendar as to when the second coming of Jesus is going to happen. Seven years later. So once the rapture happens, Sue, be sure to mark your calendar. Seven years later, we're coming back. Keep the dogs ready for us. <clears throat> so after seven years, so we, we, know, we can tell, okay, once the rapture happens, boom, that starts the 70th week of Daniel. Seven years later, Jesus is going to return to earth for the second coming of Christ. Uh, but the day that Jesus comes back from the church, uh, Jesus doesn't even know it. Now, there's a reason that and in this and in John, he kind of alluded to to weddings, to uh, to a meta, to the metaphor of a wedding. Um, in John chapter fourteen, he said he's going to prepare a place for us. Now, in in Jewish wedding traditions, uh, this was something that they would they would understand about about a wedding because in Jewish wedding traditions, um, the groom did not get to choose his bride. Now. Jesus is in this metaphor and in Scripture. Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. So when he's talking in these instances, Jewish men and women would understand what was happening. So the Jewish wedding tradition was very specific. Uh, in the Jewish wedding tradition, the father played a major part. The father, uh, he has a son, he has a, house, he has a house, he's got a son who's marrying age, and the father got to choose the bride for his wife. The son didn't get to choose it. The father got to choose the son. But usually what the father would do is he would send his servant to his ancestral home, whether it's a day away, an hour away, whatever. He would send a servant back to his ancestral home to find a suitable bride for his son. The servant would find a woman. He would negotiate with her father over a price for her. Don't get mad at me, ladies. I didn't write the, I didn't write the tradition. That's just what it was. But he would negotiate a price for her. He would pay the dowry on behalf of the father uh, to her family. And once the dowry was paid, he would go back to the father. But he would leave the bride where she was. She didn't get to come back yet. Um, the servant goes home. He doesn't bring the wife with, her, with him. She stays with her family, waiting on the groom to come and get her. She is told, you're married. You just haven't met your husband yet. But you have to live married, act married, behave married. You are a married woman to this guy. And one day, she doesn't know when, because there's no, there's no text messaging. He couldn't hit her up on Facebook and say, hey, sweetheart, be there in a couple days. 
She has no idea when he's coming. She just knows he's coming soon. One day he's coming to get me. So the servant goes and tells the dad, hey, your son's married. Now, the son, of course, what's he want to do? He wants to go get his wife. He's been waiting his whole life for this. But the father won't let him. Um, because the father, in this, in this, this culture, you, you didn't marry a woman and then you know go get your own apartment and live on your own. You live with your family. You live with the father. You were going, especially if you're the oldest son, you're going to inherit the father's farm, the father's land, the father's house. So you stayed with the father, but you need a place to live. You didn't want to live in your old bedroom. You needed a separate place to live. So the son would have to build a home for his wife on the father's land. But the only person who could tell him if the job was done right or not was the father. Because if it's up to the son, he's going to stick up a tent and go get his wife. So the father, the son, has to build an addition on the home, for his bride to live in when she gets there. Uh, after, now, after the building is done, he can go claim his bride, but the father decides when he's done. The father decides when he's ready to go get his, his bride. The son doesn't know when he's leaving to get her. The bride doesn't know when the, when the groom's coming. Only the father knows. Jesus is a groom. He doesn't know when everything's ready to come get us. We don't know when he's coming. Only the Father knows. Only the Father can tell him, now it's time to go get your bride. So after the building is done, uh, the Father decides uh, how, when, he, when, he, when he can go get him. The Son, he goes to claim his bride. And then, now, she doesn't know when he's coming. Literally, every day, she gets up, she puts on her wedding dress. It wasn't like, you know, it's not... Yeah, like today. She put on her wedding garment and she had bridesmaids who attended to her all day, every day to make sure she stayed spotless and clean. Because she didn't know when he's coming. He could show up at any... And he can't show up and she say, hey, give me 10 minutes to do my hair. No, no, no. He shows up, she has to be ready. Because as soon as he shows up, he's taking her and he's going back home to the father. And immediately leaving. She, she's got to be ready for him. She can't be, oh, well, you know, none of this ladies, oh, let me put my makeup on, let me go. No, no, no. He shows up, she leaves immediately. Um, so she has to wait for him. He takes his wife, immediately goes back home to have a wedding ceremony. After the wedding, the bride and the groom go into the wedding tent for seven days. They never leave. They, they push food in and bedpans out. So you think your honeymoon was rough? It's a rough honeymoon. I bet that tent was stinking after seven days. But for seven days, they don't leave that tent. They eat in there. They sleep in there. They, they are trying to get to know each other because they're, they're different men. This guy just, you know, guy showed up, said, hey, you're married to this guy. He'll be to get you one day. He shows up, and all of a sudden, now we're married. So they have seven days where they get to know each other. After seven days, you know, what about the bride's family? They didn't get to enjoy anything. So after seven days, they go back home to her house to have a feast with her family. Her family knows as soon as he comes to get her, we've got seven days to prepare for a party. We've got seven days to get ready for them to come back to celebrate with us. Do you, do you get the picture? Yeah. 
that Jesus has given them here? When he says you're the bride and he's the groom, he's telling us how to think of his return. We're waiting on the groom to come get us. We don't know when he's going to come. We've got to be ready. We've got to be spotless and clean. We don't want him showing up to get us and we're, not, we're unprepared. We've not done anything to get ready for him or we're living in a way that brings shame to him. Uh, you know, the bride, groom didn't, the bride didn't want the groom to come get her when she was unprepared to doing something she shouldn't be. So the time that he was away was time she used to prepare for his return. So when he comes, to, when he comes we go to the Father's house, which is heaven. We stay in the wedding tent or at the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven days or seven years. Then we return home to earth. Now, when we return, it's not going to be a party. It's going to be bad for those left here. But that's what the picture that God is doing. He's coming home to set up His kingdom. So if you know that God is your Savior, the one day we should be focused on is the day He comes to get us. It could be at any moment. We shouldn't be focused on the things we're not appointed to. We are to be focused on the groom and know that He can return one day, any day, to get us, and one day He will. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.